Hi, everyone, and welcome to Whether or Not, sponsored by TD Bank. I'm WABC Chief Meteorologist Lee Goldberg. We wanted to take this episode, take advantage of the tranquil pattern on the Earth's surface to investigate the flurry of activity going on in space, as it always is. We're going to look at our country's efforts to get back to the moon, the exploration of Mars, the experimental asteroid defense system, our experimental system to look at the climate with some high-res analysis with a new satellite network, and of course, what the James Webb Telescope is doing. So when I got together with our rock star producer and co-creator of Whether or Not, Alex Dierkman, she's sitting just to our left and blushing right now, I said, let's, let's do an update on Artemis, see where we are. She said, okay, we'll, we'll talk to NASA. I got a message later that day, because turns everything around so quickly, and she said, okay, we're good with Bill Nelson. I said, are you, are you serious? Did I geek out? Yes. Uh, did I sleep a lot last night before the interview? Not really. This is really exciting for us and whether or not, because we go straight to the source to see where NASA is now, when we're getting to the moon, and when we're going to Mars. So let's not waste any time. Joining us right now, NASA Administrator Bill Nelson. I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you taking some of your precious time out to talk about space with us. I'm so excited about it. Uh, thanks for being with us. Well, it's my pleasure. So let's get right to it. I, I want to go back since I'm a kid of the 80s and it was the shuttle program uh, that just lit up my interest about space exploration. I wanted to take you back since you just passed the 38th anniversary of your shuttle trip on Columbia. Can you take me back to that time and maybe link it a little bit to the Artemis generation now? Is there some of that technology that we might be able to find some of that DNA in current day space exploration? Well, I'll even take you back further. Let's go back uh, over a half century. Let's go back 62 years ago when uh, John F. Kennedy goes by this time, we've launched John Glenn. The Soviets had surprised us with 1958 with Sputnik. They held the high ground. Uh, in 1961, uh, before we could get up into suborbit with Alan Shepard, they then uh, surprised us with Yuri Gargarin up for one orbit. And uh, then it took us 10 months later, and we put John Glenn on the Atlas rocket, mm -hmm. which was an ICBM. And uh, we knew there was a 20% chance it was going to fail, mm. but it didn't. And it started the rest. And so Kennedy, who had said, let's go to the moon and back uh, before the end of the decade. And he hadn't gotten a lot of support. So he goes, now the nation is riveted because of John Glenn's flight. And he goes to Rice Stadium and he gives what the Kennedy family members, some of them have told me is his second best speech. And he says, we go to the moon, not because it's easy, but because it's hard. And so that then put us off on this trajectory of the Apollo program to the moon, and after that, Skylab, and then, after delay, the space shuttle system, which was supposed to be a space truck that was going to be everything to everybody. It was going to deliver defense payloads, intelligence payloads. It was going to do the NASA uh, astronauts. 
And that's when I then participated in the program. Only 10 days after we landed on Earth, Challenger launched and blew up. Mm. And that then had to have a whole rethinking of our space program. So that's a quick little history for you. Did we take some of that technology into the new Artemis design? Uh, indeed. We flew the space shuttle for 135 times. Two of those were disasters. Mm -hmm. The Challenger explosion and then Columbia in February 20, 2003 uh, on reentry burned up coming into the Earth's atmosphere. Uh, but we took that technology, the solid rocket boosters, which you can see over my left shoulder here mm -hmm. in the model, the solid rocket boosters, the, uh, the external tank that held the hydrogen and oxygen, we took that concept and expanded it into what is this massive rocket called Artemis, the space launch system with its spacecraft on the top uh, called Orion. And that is the one we tested a year ago. It was flawless. We're going to put a crew on it uh, in a year from now. And uh, we're going to fly them around the moon. And then a year after that, we're going to rendezvous in lunar orbit with a SpaceX lander. And uh, we will then have a crew of two the first woman and the next man will walk on the moon. I'm glad you said that the momentum is still going with that. Obviously, Artemis 1, like you said, flawless. And then this announcement of a delay in 2 and 3, and correct me if I'm wrong, to work on whether it be the safety systems or the heat shields, we're still full go in all of that analysis. And is there a possibility that that analysis moves even faster and the timeline could actually be pushed up a little bit. Unlikely, because when you develop a, a brand new spacecraft as Orion, which is a capsule, uh, is a new spacecraft, uh, you got to get it right. And uh, so there are a lot of new systems that have to be checked and rechecked. And that's the process that we're going through now. I think uh, the concern with the heat shield, uh, we're doing all kinds of analysis on it. Had a crew been on Artemis 1, they would have been fine. Mm -hmm. But there were some burning areas in the heat shield that uh, was a surprise. So we're going to make sure that we understand that before it flies. But I think the heat shield is going to be fine. Uh, it's other things in this very complicated, updated spacecraft. So we look forward to 2026, and I wanted to talk about why the moon is so critical and why it can be a jumping off point for our Mars exploration. And I've heard you talk in the past about going to the South Pole. Why is that so important? Yeah, why go back to the moon? We were there several times, half century ago. Well, we're going back to learn how to uh, exist in that hostile environment to develop new techniques, new procedures, new equipment 
to invent, to create, in order that we can send humans all the way to Mars. The moon is four days away. Mars, under conventional propulsion, chemical propulsion, hydrogen, oxygen, oxygen, methane, whatever the fuel is, uh, it would take us months and months to get to Mars. Well, by the time you got there, then the, the planets are out of realignment, so you can't get back in mm -hmm. six or eight months. you got to be on the surface. It's impractical for a first trip of humans to Mars. So we have to develop new propulsion to get us there faster. That's where we're working with nuclear thermal and nuclear electric right now. So we might be able to harness or recreate that fuel on the moon. In other words, are we talking about it's a spacecraft plant potentially on the moon? Well, uh, the actual existence of nuclear propulsion, uh, thermal or electric, uh, is actually we're going to have to do that here on Earth. Okay. Uh, you ask about the South Pole. And I didn't answer you. And let me tell you, we're going to the South Pole. It's a completely different part of the moon. Last time we were on the constantly in Earth's sunlight, equatorial region of the moon. This time, the South Pole is a rather treacherous area. It has all of these pockmarks. It has these deep craters. And because they are in the South Pole, and if I can show you, if the bottom of my hand is the south pole of the moon, then the light from the sun is coming in at an angle like this. Mm -hmm. And so anything that is deep in the, in the surface of the south pole is in a constant shadow. And we've got to be able to land precisely. Now, why do we want to go to the South Pole? Because we know there is water, mm. ice, in the crevices that are constantly shattered. So if there's water there, is there water underneath the surface? If we find water in some degree of abundance, then we have rocket fuel. Oof we have oxygen and hydrogen. And so that's why we want to go to the South Pole. So exciting. Okay, so yes, we haven't been to Mars yet, but certainly our equipment has. Uh, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about ingenuity. Um, what an incredible experience that was. And a little bittersweet announcement recently taking its final flight, a um, little propeller damage, but this was designed for five flights and what an incredible legacy it'll have. Yeah, isn't it something? Uh, this helicopter was, they were going to be lucky if they could get five flights. Mm -hmm. And it flew 72 times. And it flew in the Martian atmosphere, which is a 1% atmosphere. Now, contrast that. Helicopters fly on Earth. Earth is 100% atmosphere. This is 1% atmosphere. Incredible. And so we had the scientists, the engineers, they had to design this carbon fiber, lightweight, specially uh, constructed and curved 
so that it could slice into that 1% atmosphere and be able to lift itself. And it did that 72 times until it, on landing, hit a rock and chipped off a piece of the rotor blade. Mm -hmm. So that's it. But wow. So this what, was at what an inspiration. Oh, absolutely. And th this was also a scout at times for the rover Perseverance. So, I mean, it really was its sort of protector looking out for it. Now, Perseverance will still be going. Is that correct? Oh, Perseverance is chugging along. And it's, uh, it's just completing its digging. And it's doing these uh, cores in these titanium tubes and that is digging down a core into the surface uh and it we're on a dry lake bed where we knew there was a big lake and we are very close to where a river came down into the lake mm. and so we think in these 40 cores we think that there is going to be evidence that Either there was or wasn't life mm -hmm. there. And if there was water, there was very likely life. And you're talking about millions of years ago. Right. Chills. Uh, how, how critical is the work of perseverance and ingenuity to lay the groundwork of how, how we'll sustain when we go and visit Mars? Um, indeed, it's all a part of the step-by-step -step process. Uh, as I was saying, we're going back to the moon for a different reason. That is to learn in order to be able to go with humans all the way to Mars and to bring them back safely. And so uh, what Perseverance is doing, it is digging in these very specific spots that the Jet Propulsion Laboratory in California has laid out for it where we could get the best scientific evidence from what used to be a lake bed uh, of, is there still life there? Uh, and if there was life in the past, to what degree was it developed? And uh, I think that will tell us an enormous amount about our own development of our solar system, as well as the life that has developed as we know it right here on planet Earth. Before I let you go, I wanted to also address some other things under uh, NASA's umbrella that are so exciting. DART, the Double Asteroid Redirection Test, uh, along with the NEO Surveyor, which is Near Earth Object Surveillance Mission. Uh, what we've recently learned from the James Webb Telescope and some of the ideas of the satellite network uh, for climate studies. Let's just start out with DART if you could. Okay, so the question has always been, could we have the accuracy and the uh, energetic punch to hit an asteroid and to move it out of its trajectory? And we had an asteroid that was about uh, a football field long that was orbiting about a larger asteroid that was a quarter of a mile wide. Uh, and when we hit it at 14,000 miles per hour, and we hit it at a location 7 million miles from Earth, 
that we then with telescopes could measure had we changed by moving the asteroid in its orbit. And lo and behold, we did. Mm. So that gave us the confidence to know that in the future, with a mission like NEO Surveyor, which is set to go in about 2028, uh, which will scan the universe for asteroids that are a threat to Earth. And that gave us the confidence to know that then we could, if we could get it far enough away, you don't have to move it much, just nudge it a little bit on its trajectory. And by the time it gets to Earth, it would miss. Uh, so that's Neo Surveyor. Now you ask about the climate yes. uh, satellites. Well, we have a great observatory up there right now. And it is 22 satellites that are giving us all kinds of data about what is happening to our Earth. For example, a year ago, we put up one called SWAT. And that has given us the elevation of fresh water that we had never had. Lakes, rivers, streams, reservoirs. We are getting better data on the oceans. And now we're going to put up one uh, shortly with uh, India called NISAR that is going to measure the movement of surfaces on the Earth. All of this data is going into a compendium of a three-dimensional model of precisely what is happening to the Earth. And this is these great observatories. By the way, all of this information is available real-time to anybody, either on nasa.gov or earth.gov. This NASA data real-time is there. Critical climate tools. So just last but not least, instead of looking down to the Earth, looking out to even places beyond Mars, the new galaxies we're seeing, 70 million light years away, you have to be blown away by what Hubble, uh, not Hubble, that's what I grew up with, you have to be blown away by what James Webb is showing us now. Isn't it incredible? Mm -hmm. So one of the first photographs that we got called the deep field, it actually is looking at one little red speck that is the formation of a galaxy. Now get this, 13 and a half billion years ago. <laughs> Think about how far that is. So light travels at 186,000 miles per second. And that light in the infrared spectrum has been traveling to us for 13 and a half billion years. And that light that we are now seeing was part of the light maybe about 300 million years after the very beginning. That's a pretty long distance. And the thought of that magnificence of this cosmos, how big, how wide, how extraordinary. I, I'll tell you, this is an exciting time. Yes, it is. Uh, I call it the golden age of space exploration. 
And I'm often drawn to President John F. Kennedy's words. He was a sailor. And so he often talked in nautical terms. And he said, uh, our astronauts will be star sailors who will sail on a cosmic sea to far off cosmic shores. <laughs> I'm just moving around the office. No, that's that's fantastic. Uh, Administrator Nelson, let me just say that was my version of a shuttle ride right there. Um really on on cloud nine and beyond and let this serve by the way is an audition if you need a meteorologist on any of your upcoming missions i'm absolutely available but in all seriousness thanks so much for spending your time with us this was fantastic and um will create a lot of excitement whether or not and for all of our viewers thank you very much thank you we're going to the moon then we're going to mars and beyond thanks again that's NASA Administrator Bill Nelson on whether or not. Uh, a pretty incredible interview. I hope you enjoyed it. I, I know I did. And we will continue, of course, to keep you updated on everything space on whether or not. Uh, we'll see you next time. Rain or shine.